Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise, all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, I got another interesting listener suggestion. So, with that said, we will of course be playing our drinking game, as you know. The drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So, pick your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say vampire that's gonna be a single shot and every time i say irish (laughs) that'll be a double shot all right now that we have the business end out of the way we can jump head first into today's dark enigma so don your very best tartan or kilt and let's dive into today's offering of ireland's abertock or the irish vampire (laughs) okay (laughs) This one does not deserve the drama, but it's getting it anyways. Now, I'll admit, when I got the pitch for the story, uh, all I could do was close my eyes and picture an Irish vampire. Mm, Yeah, dark hair. Check. Bright eyes with just a hint of mischief. Check, check. And that deep Irish brogue. Oh, yeah, I was in. (laughs) Totally, I was in. All right, so here we go. The Irish Vampire. We've all been kept awake as children, fearing a boogeyman or a vampire sneaking into the house. These creatures have been a part of folklore in every country and have been turned into many movies and television shows, which seek to explore this fear. Many cultures have such legends, but one of the most primeval and outright terrifying of them all comes out of Irish legend. Bet you didn't know that. The vampiric, or zombie, is however a little different. Abertach is the Irish word for dwarf, a very different description of a zombie or vampire, if you will. And the frightening Abertach may have even been the origins of the character for Count Dracula. But I'm going to tell you the real story first, and then we'll dive into the rest of it. Alright, so first, the real story. A few miles west of Garvach, County Derry in the area of Glenullen, and townland of Slotaverti. By the way, I'm going to butcher these names, so if you're Irish, I'm sorry. Just, you know what, send me an angry email, I'll ignore it. Anyways, and townland of Slotaverti stands a lone hawthorn in a field, atop a hill. A large quarried stone lies at its base. So far so normal. At least for the Irish. The rural areas are dotted with fairy thorns, but this is no mere fairy sight. 
This particular tree and its long flat stone is said to mark the grave of the chieftain Abertok. Folklore tells Abertok lived and, importantly for the story, died in the 5th or 6th century CE. Now, accounts vary. Some say he was deformed. Some say he was a dwarf. But all agree he was a powerful and evil magician. He was a possessive and jealous man, and suspecting his wife of having an affair, he designed to climb outside her bedroom window to catch her in the act. However, he slipped and fell to his death. He was buried in a manner befitting a chieftain, standing upright. Yet the following day, come dusk, Abertok had returned, demanding each of his subjects let blood from their wrists onto a bowl for him to drink. He instructed that this gruesome meal be prepared for him daily, and terrified of his evil, the people fed him their blood, sustaining his unnatural life as one of the Mar Beho, or the living dead. Soon his subjects grew weary of living in fear, and none amongst them were brave enough to attempt an assassination, and so they asked the warrior chieftain, Kathan, to slay Abertok for them. Kathan killed the evil chieftain and again buried him standing in his grave. The next day, however, Abertok had returned in a foul mood and demanding more blood. The terrified people recalled the warrior and he again dispatched their king and returned him to his grave. But the next day, as the shadows grew dense, he returned once more, now in a rage and craving more blood. Kathan was at a loss. The man had died three times, twice by his own hand, and he'd put him in the ground himself. So he asked the local druid. The wise man informed the perplexed warrior that to kill the undead chieftain, he must be slain with a sword made of yew wood, buried upside down, feet towards the sky, and a large stone placed on top of the grave to help hinder his resurrection. The stone was then to be surrounded by branches of sacred Irish trees, such as hawthorn and rowan. The druid gave a grave warning that should the stone ever be removed, Abertok would be free to walk amongst us once more. No less puzzled, Cathan carried out the holy man's orders, and the people were finally rid of their undead ruler. The twigs grew into a thorn tree, and a huge dolmen was built upon the site, so no one would ever forget what lay there and unwittingly release him. However, now only one stone and the tree remained. Like many legends, there are two versions of the story of the Abertok. The first was recorded in the 1870 book, The Origins and History of Irish Names and Places, by Patrick Weston Joyce. The legend, as recorded by Joyce, states that the Abertok was a chieftain in the town of Irigal, who was known as a magician and a vicious tyrant. After many years of Abertok inflicting cruelty on the people, he was killed by a neighborhood chieftain. The accounts vary, and the name of the chieftain is not mentioned or has been attributed to Fionn Mac Kumal. 
and the apatak was always buried in a standing position, a traditional way of burial in Ireland based on St. Patrick being buried standing in 432 AD. But something was amiss here, and the following day the abertak appeared in his old haunts and was crueler than ever. The chieftain returned, killed the abertak, and the body was again buried in a standing position. The next day the abertak was again seen walking around, which terrified the entire country. This time the chieftain spoke with the druid who advised how to keep the abertak underground. First of all, I want to know, how did the druid know how to keep him underground? I'm going to admit, you know, burying him upside down was probably just logic because if he's, you know, crawling upwards, you know, like over his head, then he's just burying himself further deeper. But how did they really know that that was going to keep him down? I, I, I need to read this book. Somebody get me this magical book because I got to read it. Anyways, so our chieftain speaks to the druid. The druid tells him how to bury him. The chieftain kills the abertak for the third time and buries him upside down to subdue his magical powers, preventing his ability to come back from his grave yet again. To ensure the abertak would not return, a large stone monument was placed over the grave, and this seemed to work for the cruel abertak did not return, but remained trapped beneath the stone. The second version of the abertak story is much more gory, and was the original one that I read to you. According to that legend, the Abertuck was not trapped, but would come back from the dead to drink blood. This version also replaces the character of the Druid with an early Christian saint, who describes the Abertuck as the undead, or Nim Marba. According to this version, the Abertuck can only be defeated if the chieftain kills him with a wooden sword, buries the Abertuck upside down, and places a large stone on his grave which thorns must sur surround. But the story of the Abertach comes from deep Irish folklore, and while it was first recorded in Joyce's book, the story, like all legends, had been around for centuries. In the 12th century, Ireland belonged to England, and the fear of creatures of the walking dead was common in England. These zombies were known as revenants or animated corpses that have returned to life to haunt and harm the living. Among, along with the revenants, the concept and legends about vampires, too, have been found in many different countries going far back all the way before biblical times. Legends and folklores are typically told to children for entertainment, but also to instill fear of something that could harm them. A typical example of a folktale like this would be Hansel and Gretel, which warns children when lost, it is better to stay where you are than it is to enter the house of a stranger. In any of these legends, the monster or villain is typically imaginary, but young children haven't generally learned to read or have the ability to differentiate what is true and what is fiction. Such cautionary tales serve to keep the children safe until they're old enough to trust their own judgment. Without having read the novel Dracula, many people can tell you that it is about a vampire inspired by Vlad the Impaler. This could have given Stoker the idea of driving a wooden stake through the vampire would kill it. This assumption is not confirmed, however, and the Dracula character appears to draw from several different sources. Stoker had never been to Eastern Europe, to places like Wallachia, where his novel takes place. Instead of sticking to the usual claim that Vlad the Impaler was Dracula's inspiration, there is another to consider. 
the claim that the Abertok inspired Stoker. Bram Stoker was born in 1847 in Dublin, Ireland. That's right, he was Irish, guys, if you didn't know that. When he was younger, he suffered from a medical condition that made him unable to walk and left the boy bedbound where he read books constantly. Additionally, he worked as a theater critic for a Dublin newspaper that was co-owned by the or- Irish horror author Sheridan Le Fanu. Le Fanu was the author of the vampire story Carmilla, a novel that was published over 20 years before Stoker published Dracula. There were also books about Wallachia and Moldovia, as well as figures like Vlad the Impaler and the blood countess Elizabeth Bathory. And could Stoker have had the old Irish legend of the Abertock in mind, too? Well, there are certain similarities between the Abertock and the character Count Dracula. Both the Abertock and Dracula are of high birth and are dead but can reanimate and emerge from a grave or coffin. Both characters terrify the town or country that they reside in. Based on the alternate version of the Abertach story, both characters can only finally be killed and remain dead after being impaled with a wooden stake or killed with a sword of wood. Both the Abertach and Dracula were known to consume human blood as well. There's a strong chance that the Abertach and other fiction books young Stoker read could have had an influence on the development of his Count Dracula. Stoker's vampire seems to come from several different places, but the Abertach is certainly the same species of villain as Dracula. So much for specific inspiration, but where does this concept of the vampire arise? It didn't originate in Slavic countries, but it's found in many cultures, legends, and myths. The way one can become a vampire include more than being bitten by a vampire. In many countries, like Greece, where the belief in vampires was so intense that in the 18th and 19th centuries, certain practices were done to prevent a vampire. It isn't only in Greece. Many countries have traditional ways one becomes a vampire or how to kill and trap a vampire. Based on vampire stories from across the globe, here are some ways that someone might become a vampire. Being born with a call which is a membrane that can cover the head and face of a newborn, having a tail, more than two nipples, and not being baptized are grounds for vampirism. Violent deaths or suicide, being excommunicated, a woman remaining unwed, or animals bothering a grave are also signs of vampirism. The animal aspect stems from Slavic folklore and the practice of leaving a recently deceased in the home or on the floor for three days before burial. Many of these others are clearly due to a fear of the unknown. Not all vampires are the regal Count Dracula or the handsome Lestat from Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. In southern Slavic folklore, a vampire can be described as a blob of jelly-like material that rolls through the countryside, letting cows out of the pasture. The eastern Slavic or Russian vampire do not consume blood. Rather, they cause trouble at night by letting cows out of the pasture and jumping on the top of your house. So, next time you hear a scratching or sounds outside, or anything else that might go bump in the night, you might wonder if there's maybe a Slavic vampire on your roof. 
Killing vampires also varies across folklore, and there are methods like burying a corpse upside down, as seen in the legend of the Abertok. Pouring seeds, often mustard seeds, in front of a vampire's grave causes them to stop and count every seed, preventing their predatory blood consumption. Another method is exhuming a family member who is thought to be a, a vampire. Then the remains are burned down to ash, which is put into a drink. All living family members must drink the vampire's ashes to prevent any future vampires in the bloodline. Many cultures place objects in the mouths of the recently deceased, ranging from coins, bricks, communion wafers, and lemons to stop vampires. Burying or growing bulbs of garlic next to the vampire's grave or burying communion wafers around the gravesite traps the creatures. Whether true, there are clearly many stories of vamp vampires. And many elements like these are why scholars can't definitively say that the character of Count Dracula was based on Vlad the Impaler or the Abertak, and perhaps it was both, or maybe all of them. But if local Irish lore is to be believed, the land is still considered bad ground, and when an attempt was made to clear the site just a few years ago, the chainsaw brought to cut down the tree broke down three times and the chain wrapped around the stone to remove it, snapped, cutting the hand of one of the workers and allowing blood to seep into the ground. And after that, no more attempts have been made to move it. Probably a good idea. And on that note, my darlings, we have come to the end of today's episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts about today's episode, especially if you're an Irish vampire, because seriously, I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. Call me. Anyways, you can reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your thoughts about today's episode, or you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.